And welcome on in to the latest edition of the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. Ryan Hickey and George Bremer here with you on this Friday afternoon, George. It was a big day. Big day at the NFL Scouting Combine, but a big day for the Colts' future. As we've talked a lot, a ton, ad nauseum, if you will, already about all four quarterbacks. Which quarterback fits the Colts? Which one is Chris Bauer like? Who does Shane Steichen like? And we've talked a lot about them. But at least on Friday, we got a chance for the first time in, a, in an NFL setting to hear from the quarterbacks themselves, hear what they had to say as all four had their media availabilities earlier Friday morning. You, George, were there for all four of them, so we'll get your thoughts on each one here in a second. But I would say it's important to note because with the scouting comment overall, we talked about this on Tuesday's pod, and if you missed it, make sure you go check out either YouTube Blue Horseshoe Pod or type us in the Blue Horseshoe Podcast wherever you do get your podcasts. In previewing the scouting combine, we talked about the most important thing that's going to happen when it comes to the Colts making their decision and starting to sort in order which quarterbacks they like more than others. The biggest separator is going to be in the meetings, in the interview room, that 15 minutes or so uh, that each team gets with each prospect. And obviously, we're not going to see that. We're not going to hear about it. But throwing the 40 time, the bench press, that really won't have any sort of impact on who the Colts like and who they dislike. And one of the areas that Chris Bauer kind of made that point stronger on when he was talking to the media Wednesday was he said the biggest thing he's really going to look for this week from the quarterbacks is how they handle the media. And you were there, George. We'll talk about it in a second. The media scrum for all four quarterbacks was massive. There was, what, maybe 100 people there all trying to oh, yell and get get questions. It's overwhelming at times. So Chris said one of the biggest things I'm looking for is how they handle that moment. So overall, George, all four quarterbacks, you especially being in the mix, in the scrum there in person, how do you think the quarterbacks handle kind of that immense pressure where there's so many people are trying to ask them all sorts of questions here? How do you think they handled it so far? Yeah, they all came off really well. You know, I think all four of them did a really good job. Uh, they all seemed pretty calm up there. They all had really clear, concise answers. Uh, most of them were, were pretty engaging, entertaining at times. Um, Anthony Richardson in particular is, seems a little goofy, uh, really had a, a good sense of humor to him. I think that came across well. Uh, but I think all of them, it, it, none of them seemed like they were backing away from the spotlight. And Bryce Young's the quietest of that bunch. Uh, but I think that was to be expected. He's, what you think an Alabama quarterback's going to be up there uh, was pretty much him, you know, a little bit of a politician at times. Um, some of his stuff maybe sounded a little rehearsed, um, which probably was. I'm sure that they've gone through this. Um, but it was, you know, it was polite. I mean, all of it was uh, not off-putting in any way. And I think that's, I think all four of them did a really good job up there of kind of showing you that their personalities are the, the type of personalities that, that uh, a team can rally around. Absolutely. It's funny with Bryce and the politician, especially, right? Some of them did definitely sound like whether it's Nick Saban, whether it's his agent, hey, you're going to get this question. This is how you're going to answer it. It's very diplomatic. Like you said, didn't didn't step on anyone's toes for sure. I believe, honestly, I forget because I've been kind of blends together, especially since, you know, we've, we've been doing a ton of pods this week. So I forget if it was on the podcast or off. We were just kind of talking after the podcast yesterday. We were both joking about how Bryce Young is going to say nothing. He's going to say he's happy to be here. He says his only goal is to get drafted no matter what round, what team. He just wants to be there. And it's funny watching it this morning. That's basically exactly exactly how it went. So you were there for Bryce Young. Let's start with him first since he went um, he went first in the morning. What was your biggest takeaway? Is there anything that kind of stood out to you? Because I did have a few interesting things that kind of, oh, okay. There's It didn't give a lot, but I thought there was at least nits, you know, uh, tidbits here and there. That kind of uh, stuck out. Anything for you that kind of was pressing out of Bryce Young's press conference? I don't know about pressing, but, you know, I thought that he really did a good job of kind of detailing the way that that he processes things, you know, the way his mind works, how quick thinking he is, uh, those kind of things. It wasn't very hard to listen to some of that and, and sort of match that up with Shane Steichen and the things that he was saying, you know, earlier this week in that same room, uh, just in terms of growing, having that growth mindset, um, you know, being able to to try new things and 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 look at football in different ways, I think uh, Bryce was sort of you know touching on on some of those topics and and, and sort of leaning towards that. But the, maybe the funniest thing he said was that you know he's been this size his whole life, uh, which made us wonder like you know was was he born you know was he created <laughs> in the lab like uh, that that was an interesting interesting comment from him. But no, I I think with him you knew the size questions were coming. I mean, that was obvious. Each of these guys, you knew they were going to get one thing in particular. Uh, and with him, it was, it was going to be the size. And I think he handled that extremely well. 
Um, you know, he was just saying, look, I, I've played that that's been the knock on me at every level. I've, you know, been able to go through it. I've been able to deal with it. I've been able to succeed at every level. Uh, he said that, you know, he has been working on, on gaining weight, obviously since the season ended, like we said, he probably would. Uh, and that he's, he thinks he's up around 200 and he, and he feels like he's comfortable there that he can play, you know, at, at that weight. And that seems to be the magic number. I mean, I don't know that there is one per se, but when you talk to the NFL people, that seems to be the biggest issue in here. The six foot thing is there, but there's been enough guys under six feet succeed even recently, or at least come to some level of success. Even guys like Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray have had enough moments to where you're no longer worried about the, the six foot threshold. But uh, that 200 pound threshold, I think, is is really a big one. It'll be interesting to see how that goes, you know, Saturday morning, like we said before, the most anticipated way in maybe in combine history. That is for sure. And I'm glad you brought up the weight, too, because obviously that's the big pressing question. That's the thing everyone, when they weigh in on Saturday mornings, going to be looking at. But I thought he made two interesting points. Number one, like you said, you brought up, he said around 200. And that's where he's comfortable with. I think that's also important. We talked about the weight, right? And whether it's going to be 190, 200, 210, like if he just explodes, puts on a ton of muscle, 215. But I think the important part about the weight is if he does gain a, you know, gain some weight, let's say he's around 200. If he's comfortable, though, at that weight, if he's like, I could still do everything I was able to do at Alabama, that's also important. Like, just gaining weight, even if it's muscle, um, but if it restricts his throwing motion or makes him a little more stiff, like, that's also not good. Like, you could talk about, oh, it's not good to have a quarterback at 200 pounds, but it's also not good to have a quarterback at 215 pounds who's not used to playing at that weight, who's not used to maybe having all that extra muscle on him, and maybe that makes some of the throws uh, that he was able to make at a lighter weight at Alabama now more difficult or more inaccurate, or he just can't make anymore. Like I do think that's one of the things we haven't really talked about a lot, George, but it's like, right. The, the weight itself mm -hmm. is important. We also want to be at a weight where you're comfortable in playing as well. And you're comfortable in your own body, not just like Arnold Schwarzenegger walking around here as jacked as you could be, but you're stiff. You can't have the same movements that you did before. And you, you lose a little bit of fluidity to your game. So I think that's also an important kind of, I don't know if caveat is, is the right word there to kind of talk about it when talking about his weight, but it's like you mentioned like 200 pounds and he feels comfortable in his body. That to me is important. Like if you are comfortable at your weight, that to me is more important than even the number that you weigh in at. So I did like that answer for Bryson, but also too, you said it before and he's, he's right. He's like, it's not like all of a sudden he was thrown into this body after Alabama. Now he has to get used to being shorter and being lighter than he was. Like he has been this size for quite a while. It sounds like. He knows how to yep. play at this size. Yes, the offensive linemen and the defensive linemen are a little bit bigger, faster, and taller in the NFL compared to college. I get that. But if he's comfortable and is able to make do, and again, he was in the state in, in the pocket. If you watch, you know, watch any Alabama tape, he stayed in the pocket a ton. He wasn't someone that to flush out. And looking back revisionist history, look at Baker Mayfield at Oklahoma, that was someone who did make a lot of his plays outside the pocket. And you kind of go, maybe he couldn't see over the linemen, or maybe, you know, that lack of size really did impact him and where he was still able to make plays outside the pocket at Oklahoma. He can out the NFL because those guys, again, are just better athletes. So I don't, like I said, I think he knows how to play in his own body. I think that's just as important as feeling comfortable in your own body. So obviously the weight, like I said, it, I mean, he got a lot of questions about it today on Friday. It's going to be a huge talking point tomorrow, whatever he weighs in at. It's going to be a story. Either he's too light, he gained a lot of muscle, or he's just about 200 pounds. And it, it's going to be a talking point either way. But I do like the fact that he talked about being comfortable in his own body. That to me is extremely, extremely important. Another thing I like, George, was the fact that he was asked, what's your biggest strength of your game? He said leadership. I think that goes a long way, and that's exactly kind of mm -hmm. an alley that I think Chris Ballard does like, does want. And for a quarterback, especially a young quarterback, who's going to have to come in here with all the expectations on his shoulders, you're going to have to be a really good leader. And I think we saw two years ago a guy in Carson Wentz who has a lot of talent does not have a lot of leadership whatsoever. That talent gets overshadowed by sometimes your lack of leadership. And we see in a situation where his career is down the drain, but even that 2021 season, not, you know, you lose the season ends in disappointment in part because Carson Wentz couldn't, you know, in the biggest moment, step up like a true leader needs to step up. Yeah. You know, and I think that's one of the things people are going to see his sort of quiet, calm demeanor, and they're going to wonder what, what kind of a leader he is. Uh, some people will, because, you know, they, they want to see more intensity or more fire or whatever. But when you talk to his Alabama teammates, they're, they're all behind him hundred percent. They believe in him. You know, they, they, they really followed him. Uh, I think people don't probably realize Alabama had its issues this year. It, it was not 
a normal Alabama season by any measures. Uh, and, and there's a lot of people, you talk to people who follow that program for a long time or who watch college football in general for a long time, and they'll they'll say, you know, they don't know where they would have been last year without Bryce Young and, and the way that he was able to handle uh, some of those moments, um, including his his own injury, which is another thing he had to talk about, the right shoulder. And, you know, he, he feels like that's fine. He's gotten through that. Uh, but that that to me is is another big aspect of this. There's leaders come in a lot of different styles and a lot of different shapes and sizes as well. And I think with him, it might be more of a lead by example type of a, you know, that's that's the way that he wants to, to handle things. Uh, but it obviously works for him. It goes back to what you were talking about with the weight. Like he can't be anybody other than who he is. So I think within his personality, he's obviously found a way to to lead, you know, one of the nation's most important and visible college football programs. It gives you a level of confidence. He's going to be able to do that at the NFL level as well. And the last thing I'll say about Bryce Young is the the answer that I, I honestly out of the three that I like that we're talking about here, the weight, the leadership, the one I like the most and I'm impressed about the most was someone asked him, what's your favorite moment at Alabama? And he went back to his sophomore year, 2021, when they beat Auburn. And if you go back to that specific game, Auburn was not very good. They were they were six and five going to that game. That was Brian Harson's first year. They were, the Alabama was on their way to going to the national title game. That was a game Alabama won 24-22 on the road at Auburn. It was a very ugly game in which Bryce Young, that the stats right here, was 25 of 51, so sub-50% completion percentage. He had 317 yards, two touchdowns, one pick. But also, this is a game that went to four overtimes. They scored only 24 points, and he, at the end, needed to help lead a drive with a game on the line. It was, what was it here? It was a 97-yard drive to get in the end zone to tie the game with the game on the line. It was not the prettiest game for Bryce Young. He did not play by far his best game. But what I like so much about that answer is, even though it wasn't, like, again, Auburn's not very good, so it wasn't like this massive, massive matchup. It, it is in the state of Alabama, but it wasn't like, you know, you're taking on the number one defense in Georgia. You played a subpar opponent on the road in a big rivalry game, did not play your best, but when they needed you most in the fourth quarter in overtime, you delivered. Again, it wasn't pretty from a stat sheet perspective, but I like the fact that that's one of his favorite memories because it showed his ability to, is it showed his leadership, showed his mental toughness, and grind through games. Like That's, George, I think one of the underrated factors when it comes to talking about great quarterbacks in this league like Patrick Holmes and Joe Burrow. You're not going to have your A game every single game, but can you grind through some quarters you don't have it? Can you grind through mistakes early to when it's the fourth quarter and you're within reach, you capitalize on the other team not putting you away? That's a game that happened where Auburn let Alabama back into the game. Bryce Young took advantage. I love the fact that that's one of his favorite games just because, again, it showed more his leadership and mental toughness than anything else because from a stat-wise and even just a game perspective, didn't play great whatsoever. Yeah, well, and that's – I mean, one of the biggest things you hear from Chris Ballard again and again is you want to see how these guys deal with adversity, you know, at every position, but particularly a quarterback, and it's going to happen. I mean – it's hard to think of very many rookies that came in right away, played well from the start, and the team won from the start. You're going to have to go through something at some point in that rookie year. Either you're struggling or the team's struggling or both. And how are you going to react? And, and, you know, when you're doing that and you're Bryce Young and you're at Alabama and the expectations that there are there and you're playing your rival in a game you have to win to stay in the national title hunt, on an ugly, ugly day, you find a way to win. It, it tells you a lot about him. And I think that's... That is, and then the fact that he brings that up today, you know, uh, at, at the combine is one of his favorite members. I think also tells you a lot about him. I think it's just it's really easy to see why a lot of people out there are willing to look beyond the size and look at the talent and say, you know, this this may well be the best quarterback in this draft. It's almost luck like in a way, right? Especially his rookie year. Like I feel like how many times did he kind of struggle, but then fourth quarter the games have then reached. There he is making big comeback after big comeback and, and getting the job done. Like I said, it's it's something that you can't teach for sure. And it's great that he's able to do it on a consistent basis too, nonetheless. Um, so I did love that answer from, from Bryce Young. All right, let's go to CJ Stroud. Let's talk about this, George, because he's asked about it as well today. And it's obviously one of the biggest talking points um, between now and the draft is the first two years of his style of play compared to the last game he played in his career against Georgia. And he's asked basically what was the difference. And he said, CJ Shroud said on Friday, basically he regrets not using his legs more. He wishes that he was, you know, making more plays with his feet than he did and just didn't wait to the last game of his career to do so. Let me ask you this question. Is it like, how easy is it to flip a switch where for 95% of your career, you're a pocket passer. You really didn't make many plays outside of the pocket rolling on the run. Again, a lot of times you just throw the ball away. 
um, to where is now the last game of your career, all of a sudden you, you use your legs more and you make plays happen. Is it that simple as just flipping a switch and saying, if the Colts were to draft him at number one or number four, wherever that he will be more like the Georgia quarterback, or is that transition not as easy, you know, not as easily done as said, just because for 95% of his career, he was almost a different quarterback. Yeah, no, it's going to be a process. I mean, that's how that's true of any of these guys. You know, I think, They've all got things that they need to work on, and and those things will take time. You know, some of them won't ever overcome whatever it is that that's nagging them. And I thought I really liked his answer on that in in its totality, um, because you know he said, as as you mentioned, that he regretted not doing it more often. And I think that I think that's going to help move the the process along. I think he saw against Georgia, against the nation's best defense, with basically an NFL defense that he's facing out there, how how effective it was. And I think that helps him in the decision making. Of, hey, you know what? Maybe I can do this. Uh, but he also said, you know, there were there were some reasons behind it. You know, he's, first of all, if you go back and look through his tape, he said you're going to find other areas, not for an entire game, but where he did do it on a tough third mm-hmm. down, or he did do it on a tough fourth down. You know, and I think that's that's part of this game too. But the biggest thing I thought he said that that really made a lot of sense. He said, look, I had talent everywhere. You know, people talk about that. All the time. I mean, obviously, he was throwing to to NFL receivers. He had probably a better crew at Ohio State than he will on most teams that would draft yeah. him next year. Um, and so he said, if I spend eight hours working on a play and, and you know, learning every detail of it, I'm not just going to go through my first progression and take off and run. I'm going to go through the whole thing. One, two, three, and four. I understand that. You know, it makes sense. And I think that's one of the balances that you have to have at the NFL level, when is the right time to do it? I don't, Andrew Luck was probably in year seven or eight before he really started to to get that balance correct, you know, right at the end. Uh, really, his, his, his one year with Frank Reich was probably his best year in terms of understanding when to run and when to kind of save himself. Luck was kind of the other way, where he would run and, and put himself in danger and put his body in harm's way at times where maybe he didn't need to. And I think with Stroud, you're going to try to go the other way with him and get him to run a little more often in some situations. But I think it's I think it's something that it's one of the toughest balances for quarterbacks. As we look at this game evolving and we want to use them more and more in the running game, when is that right time to go? When do you give up on a play? You know, I think that's something that if he were here, Shane Steichen, Cam Turner are going to have to work with him, Jim Bob Cooter, on, you know, learning that balance. And it won't be. You're right. It won't be an overnight thing. It'll be a year three or year four thing. I'm with, Yeah, I think that, I think development's going to need some time for sure. And again, I just don't think that it's as easy as to flip a switch and just kind of almost change your game in a way when that's really kind of what happened. He really changed his game. It was almost a different kind of quarterback against Georgia compared to what we saw in the first two regular season or the first two years up to that point at Ohio state. So I think it's definitely going to be a process for sure. And also I wonder too, if you're an NFL team, like how much you even want him running? Because like too, you look at his frame, he's taller, but he's also lankier and skinnier than guys like Will Levis and Anthony Richardson who have made more hay with their legs. And so you wonder too, it's like, yes, on a third down, if, if the C's part take it and you want to, you know, sometimes even if it just, even if you're not even through your progressions yet, sometimes you see and you say, I just got to go. I got to take this here and capitalize. I don't think whether it's here with the Colts or if the Texans take wherever he ends up getting drafted, I don't think it's going to be a lot of dual threat or zone read sort of style of offense you're going to want CJ Stroud in. It's just more encouraging. Hey, if nothing's there, instead of throwing it away, you know, see what you make a play with your legs. And that's really what he did with Georgia tremendously in that one game. Like I said, it is a balance. And it's definitely going to take a, a lot longer. I think patience, especially for Colts fans, if he's the one, you know, if he's the quarterback that drafted, I think patience is definitely going to have to be a key here for CJ Stroud in terms of just because it was the last game that we saw of CJ Stroud does not mean that Georgia and then week one of the 2023 season, he's going to go one from right from that Georgia game and pick up where he left off starting week one for the Colts, whoever. I think it's definitely going to be, like I said, a process where, it could take a few years to kind of learn and like I said, get that right balance of not trying to force it, but also sometimes take what the defense gives you. And like I said, also capitalizing on that. And it's, it's a good point about Ohio state having so much talent. That's another concern to be honest is the, like, let's, if it's the Colts, let's be honest, the, the Ohio state wide receiver room is more talented with the Colts have. So it's mm-hmm. also how can, you know, will he be able to keep up the same level of play with less talent around him? And will he be able to elevate those wide receivers, those tight ends, those running backs around him that aren't going to be the best that, you know, in the country or the, be- the best overall skill positions combined um, like Ohio State had this past year. 
Yeah, that's a big question. And he addressed that a little bit too. You know, he talked about he feels like his biggest strength is ball placement. And he said yeah. he can throw guys open. And he he said, you know, pretty plainly that he understands in the NFL, those windows are a lot tighter. You're not going to have wide open receivers. You're going to have to do that at times. He feels comfortable doing that. Now it's one thing to say that at the podium, it's another thing to go out there on Sunday and, and do it when there's 300 pound guys, you know, bearing down on you and trying to end your life. But I think that uh, to me, a couple of the most impressive things from him today, one, just the overall fire and intensity. I mean, he seemed like a guy was ready to put on a helmet play right there. I mean, he, he was just really, and I think that's going to, go over well with Chris Ballard. I mean, that's something I think he, he watches that video. He's going to really like that. Uh, but there was a moment where they were talking to him about, I think, film study and leadership. And he said, you know, he's the type of guy. He's not afraid. If, if they're going over the film, he'll point out and, and he'll, you know, give that constructive criticism right there in the film room. You know, hey, this route needs to be a little bit, you know, rounded off here, whatever it may be. I'd, I'd like you to be at this spot, you know, and I think that's not all quarterbacks are willing to do that. And I think it's maybe something that was missing from this team a little bit the last few years, having that quarterback who's willing, you know, at times to maybe give somebody a, a kick in the pants if, if that's what it takes. Uh, you know, you've got to back it up on the field. I mean, that's the thing. I think Matt Ryan was willing to do that. Uh, but when he wasn't able to, to play at the level that he had before, it's not going to carry the same words. So, you know, it's probably since Phil Rivers was here at the, at the very least that they've had a guy who both could command on the field and off the field. Not saying that Stroud will be that guy, but it sounds like that's what he wants to do. And I think that's an interesting uh, aspect. I, honestly, I came away from that one thinking that was a 13-minute love letter to Chris Ballard. I mean, it, almost everything he said uh, from accountability to accuracy to his willingness to uh, go into a totally new offense and start over from fresh and, and learn it all over from the beginning again, uh, it was almost like he was speaking specifically to the Colts general manager. And it's almost felt like, it almost feels like too, he like kind of looked up and, you know, Googled himself basically, what are all the knocks that people are saying against you? Because one we talked about on Thursday's pod, George, was the Ohio State offense. It almost seems like Ryan Day, like almost makes the reads for the quarterback. And like, this is what you're going to, this is where you're going to throw it in this play. And I thought it was interesting that he, in that, um, in the press conference, basically mentioned that, you know, it's not only learning the play. You know, the coach is telling us it's us going up to the whiteboard and then explaining what they just told us and making sure we understand it. So it's almost like you're in a way you're getting taught and then you're teaching, you know, your coaches, hey, this is how this play is supposed to run. That almost felt like he was trying to, again, make it known that any sort of questions about, you know, being a system quarterback or the, the exact offense that Ohio State runs, it's not a problem in terms of, hey, I, I can read defenses. Basically, I'm not being told what to do uh, every single play. I have a good handle and grasp on what I'm doing. No, there's no doubt. And I'm sure he's being asked about that in, in, in NFL meeting rooms. Cause mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of questions within the league about not just Ohio State, the way the Tennessee offense runs, you know, some of these, some of these offenses that are more, I guess, gimmicky for lack of a better word uh, that, that go on in college football, you know, there, there's a lot of questions about that. And I have no doubt that he's been getting those in, in these NFL meeting rooms. And I'm sure it's something he was prepared for. You know, and obviously he does a lot of research. I mean, like you said, I think he knows what the knocks are on him. I think he knows what he needs to answer to these NFL guys. And if he's as impressive in the meetings with them as he was in the room today, uh, I think he's going to come off really well. It'll be interesting to see, you know, how that comes out. I've, I've heard Anthony Richardson's been doing really well uh, with teams, you know, in the in the meeting room. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they think of C.J. Stroud. But I, I think he's a guy that uh, borderline abrasive, you know, and I think that's something that, that this team – uh, really seems to value. They really seem to like yeah. that. So, so we'll see how that goes. Absolutely. Like I said, it felt like the biggest overall theme I felt like from CJ Strouds was the fact that he was very self-aware, which I think is very important for any aspect of life. If you are aware of what you do well, but also what you don't do well, that's one of the ways you are able to correct it. Now, like you said, it's one thing to say, it's one thing to, to talk a good talk and kind of, you know, check all the boxes that Chris Ballard is looking for and other teams are looking for and basically say what you want them to hear you say. Knowing, you know, once the draft comes and once you're in practice and training camp and games to actually then practice what you preach and actually put it on the field and translate it. So that's definitely like said. But so far, CJ Shad, like I said, come out, came off really well as well in the 13, 14 minutes uh, that he spoke. How about Anthony Richardson? You said before, he the most lively and most personable of the uh, the five quarterbacks that you were there to witness earlier uh, earlier on Friday. 
Um, my favorite, at least kind of interaction he had was he's asked basically, you know, Hey, you're considered a project quarterback. He goes, I don't know what that means. <laughs> kind of just trying to, again, put and squash any sort of thoughts that he needs time or he is so unpolished. What was your biggest thought about Anthony Richardson's uh, media availability? Yeah, he's ready to be a star. I mean, in that, by that, I mean, he's got that personality. He's got that sort of, uh, the way he carries himself, you know, first of all, he looks like he was like sculpted out of granite or something. Uh, especially coming after those uh, CJ's a, a pretty big guy and Bryce obviously isn't uh, but <laughs> on top of that Anthony Richardson he just looked almost like a pro wrestler like he's just ready to brawl with somebody out there um, he's huge uh, and I think that that's something you you notice right away and then when you hear him say you know Cam Newton Lamar Jackson are the guys that he kind of watched and followed well that makes sense you know I think when Stroud said Mike Vick that was kind of surprising um, because you don't see a lot of that in his game Right. But then he went back and said, hey, I think Vic was underrated from the pocket. And you, know, you go back to that game in Lambeau in the playoffs, you know, he did it. It, it definitely had his moments uh, in his light, later career in Philadelphia. He really was much more of a pocket passer. So uh, but it, I, that one surprised me when you hear Anthony Richardson say Cam Newton and Lamar Jackson. That's not surprising. I think those are the that's why you're drafting him. That's that's the guy you're hoping that you're going to get. Um, and I think that, you know, he, he too understands some of his limitations. He said, you know, his completion percentage wasn't great. Uh, but there's, you know, I thought the most interesting thing there was he said he feels like when he takes some steam off the ball, when he's not throwing as hard, he's a little bit less accurate. And so I don't know what you do with that as, huh. as a, you know, as an NFL evaluator, I thought that was interesting. Um, you know, sometimes on the shorter passes, maybe the touch passes, it's, it's not always there where he wants it to be now. You know, a couple of days ago, Shane Steichen said pretty clearly he feels like you can coach that. You you can make, uh, you can teach accuracy. You know, so it'll be interesting to see. Uh, he's been working on his footwork. I think that's probably pretty obvious. You got a lot of questions about that. Uh, that's been what he's been working on. You know, so far since season ended. Uh, but I think he's a guy. You do wonder if maybe another year in college would have helped him. Um, he seems he seems like kind of in a fun way, kind of a goofy guy. Um, he, he told a story about you know having to mature. He's only twenty years old. And I think that's another thing that's going to be interesting. Uh, Colts having a lot of luck, haven't had a lot of luck with with 20-year-olds uh, over the last couple of years, some of the younger guys that they brought in. Uh, but, you know, he said he had to grow up pretty quick because he's got a younger brother. Uh, he said, you know, if you lived in Gainesville, you would see him all the time. He had a black bicycle. And it, anytime you saw him, you saw his brother sitting up on the handlebars, you know, going wherever he was going. So uh, that was just part of that personality that he had, you know, kind of connecting with people. Uh, you could feel that. And I think that's something that quarterback needs. So with him, we know the questions, you know, are you going to go out there and, and uh, on third and eight, are you going to be able to, you know, thread that ball through a needle and, and keep the drive going? Um, but I think that you see the personality, you see the physical traits, it's all there. He, to me, I think is the biggest wild card in this draft. And I think it's, you know, I think it's something obviously a lot of people have been saying too, um, we'll get to Will Levis here in, in a second, but that definitely is someone, like you said, where the physical traits are clearly, there's no doubt about his arm strength, his athletic ability, his size, his build. But like I said, you hear things about, you know, his maturity. And it, so far, it sounds like even though his young age is, you know, again, only 20 years old, does have a good head on the shoulders, is again, aware of kind of the faults uh, and defaults of his game. But also too, it's just like, you know, I guess the guy I look at the most for him is Josh Allen. As a, as a comp. And it's just like Josh Allen had a lot of questions. It was kind of a similar wild card as well coming out of Wyoming. A lot of accuracy questions. Uh, and again, he's the right now, I think the, the poster child for if you are the Colts and you are taking Anthony Richardson, you are looking directly at uh, Josh Allen's development through three years in Buffalo, the first three years there, and what he was able to do in order to kind of become the polished quarterback that now he is after five years. That has to be this exact plan. And if you're Shane Steichen, like I said, so far, everything sounds like in his history of working with quarterbacks has shown you he has done a good job of getting the most out of each quarterback prospect. So if you are the Colts, like I said, there's no question about the size and, and the tools being there. But then that I feel like I will say that the Anthony Richardson pick, I think, is almost more of a leap of faith in Shane Steichen than even Anthony Richardson himself because you are, you are telling everyone Shane Steichen is the guy to kind of take this you know, piece of marble that right now is just a huge block and he could chisel it into the next, you know, David, right? Is that, is that, I'm not cultured. I'll be honest. Is that the, <laughs> the statue of David, right? The, the famous yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. So like you could take this block of marble. Thank you, George. Help, help me out and chisel it into the next David statue. Like that is really 
that I think is the the biggest thing that the Colts are telling you if they go Anthony Richardson, it's more, it's not even almost, you know, a, a leap of faith in Richardson himself. I'd say it's even more a belief in Sykin than anything else. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things we were talking about, you know, uh, texting this morning. Uh, that's, that's the unknown in this process. We can kind of guess at a lot of these guys, how they're going to come off to Chris Ballard. You know, we, we can look at that fire intensity from CJ Stroud and say, Ballard's going to like that. And you can look at the physical nature and the traits of, of Anthony Richardson and say, Ballard's going to like that. But we don't know as much about Shane Sykin. We can look at his history and we can guess, but we, we haven't been around him long enough yet to have a good idea of what he's really looking for. Uh, you know, from what he said, I know that the processing speed that, that Bryce Young has has got to be appealing to him. I know that the accuracy that, C, that CJ Shroud has has got to be appealing to him. And I would just guess, you know, from where he just came, that the ability to run defenders over at the goal line and push into the end zone like Jalen Hurts does is probably yeah. appealing to him from Anthony Richardson. So, but I, that to me is the biggest wild card in this process. I, I do think one thing, and, and I agree with you 100%, if you draft Anthony Richardson, you're basically saying, we believe in Shane Steichen. The way the Colts have said the last few years, we believe in Frank Reich. You know, it worked with Philip Rivers. It worked for about half a season with Carson Wentz, and it imploded horribly last year with Matt Ryan. So, you know, see how that turns out. Uh, but I do think Steichen's got the right thought process. It, it all starts with the quarterback for him. And he's going to look at what can you do and what can you not do. And those things that you can't do well, they're just going to throw that out of the game plan. That's not even going to be part of it. And it sounds simplistic. I know that. But it's not everybody does it, first of all. And I think it's it's really at the heart of his philosophy. So I think no matter who he brings in, no matter what quarterback he gets, it's going to be the same mindset for him as far as how they build around him. Absolutely. Like I said, and that's, we've talked about it a lot and repeated it a lot on this podcast, but it's important to note because like you said, not everyone does it. like putting players in position to succeed. It sounds obvious. It sounds easy to do. It sounds simple, but so many coaches for whatever reason, don't do it. They feel comfortable in what they know instead of kind of branching out to adjust and tweak their, you know, philosophy, offense, defense, special teams wise to the players they have. They said, Oh, and this is my system. This is what I, you know, I've succeeded with. You have to change to me. And as we've seen, that fails a whole hell of a lot more than it than it you know than it works out for sure. And that's the mark I think now of a of a good coach is adjusting to the personnel you have. Like you said, with Richardson coming in with raw talent, how you mold that talent, like I said, is going to be a, a real a real confidence um, swing in Shane second to get the most out of him compared to a, a polished guy like Bryce Young or CJ Stroud, who you know are a lot sharper, obviously, and it's just you know their development. And they're um, going from college to NFL is going to be a lot smoother and a lot cleaner than for someone like Anthony Richardson. And also for someone like Will Levis, who was the uh, the other quarterback to speak uh, earlier on Friday morning, George. He probably had the headline of the day. We talked about Bryce Young and CJ Stroud kind of almost being politicians in a way and, and saying a lot of the answers that we expected. Richardson had a little bit more personality to him. But Will Levis asked basically, hey, Will, why are you throwing at the combine this week? He goes, I got a cannon. I want to show it off. That was probably the best answer of any of the quarterbacks all day. And you know what? I understand that because I don't. And if I did, I would be <laughs> right there true. with him. I mean, I, I get that a hundred percent. More power to you, Will, uh, on that one. Absolutely. No, I, I you know, I think he was uh, some of my takeaways from him. Uh, leadership's a big part of his game. I mean, you talk to people in Kentucky and I think I talked about this, you know, I think I talked about this on Tuesday's show uh, that, he's almost a folk hero down there. You know, they absolutely adore him. Uh, they hang on his every word and it, that's not easy to do when you transfer in. I think that's part of this too. He's been through that process already. You know, he had to go from Penn state to Kentucky, went over a whole new locker room, learn a whole new scheme, learn new coaching staff, learn new teammates. That's, you would think that's going to prepare him a little bit for what he's going to face next year in the NFL uh, with similar circumstances. And I thought one of the things that he said in, in that regard that really stood out, was you got to you got to kind of know you come in you lead by example first you don't talk you do things the right, right way and you let people know that that you're going to do things the right way and then as you earn their trust and when you become the starter then you start leading vocally and i thought that was a really you know mature take on that uh but you know at the same time he was talking about putting mayonnaise and coffee and eating bananas with the peels you know uh, it sounds like the mayonnaise thing was a joke. So that's good. You can write that one off. Uh, that was, they just, he was out with his girlfriend and, and the only thing on the table was mayonnaise. And so that was just a joke. 
Uh, but yeah, I still don't know that I would do that. Decision making is, is coffee is shops there. in Indy everywhere are exhaling. Oh, thank goodness. You don't have to yeah. you know, start stocking mayo now. Don't have, to stock up, <laughs> don't have to stock up on the mayo. But, you know, it's I, I thought that was interesting. He came off as a really mature quarterback. Um, and, and I think that's to some extent the Colts need that as well. I mean, I think they're looking for a guy. If you listen to what Chris Ballard and, and Shane Steichen have said, I think they're looking for a guy who can come in and play right away. Uh, and win very quickly, you know, in, in the process. And so maturity is a big part of that. Now, you know, there's questions about him on the field. Obviously, sometimes showing off that cannon uh, in a game gets him in trouble, you know. So it it is a double-edged sword. Uh, but like all the other guys, I think he did. He came in, he said a lot of the right things. And I think you come away feeling like, I like this guy. I understand why teams are interested in him. That's the thing, I guess, when you hear him talk about the, the cannon of an arm, and, and basically, again, he and, and Anthony Richardson, we talked about it in the lead-up to the Saturday Combine, are really going to try to make you know make their hay, make their push, this, you know, starting Saturday in the drills and really wow scouts with just the, their pro day and throwing uh, in T-shirts and underwear, basically, the next few days to really show off their physical prowess. In part because, I think, like I said, the, the tape when you watch them at Kentucky and Florida, respectively, if we, we, we group these last two quarterbacks together – it leaves a lot to be desired, a lot more questions than answers. So, of course, they want to, you know, put themselves on the right foot. And the best way to do that is by showing off what you got. And for, for Will Levis, it's like, yeah, you have a rocket up for an arm. But if you aren't accurate and you aren't making the best decisions, it almost doesn't matter. Like, that's the thing. Chris Ballard said the other day, um, and I think he's right. I think it was him or Shane Sagan, one of the two. I forget. But someone in the Colts brass during their media availability on Wednesday basically said, almost kind of poo-pooed arm strength as something that's super important. I actually kind of, I agree with that. Because look, you, obviously you don't have a noodle arm, right? That's that's obvious. You don't want to, you can't, you have to be able to push the ball down the field. It can't be like Drew Brees at the end of his career or Peyton Manning when he's with the Broncos that final year when he's, you know, can't even get the ball 10 yards, you know, to the first down marker. So you need to have obviously functional arm strength, but having a big arm, if you can't control it, it is truly useless. So mm-hmm. it's like, sure, Bryce only had the weakest arm, I think out of the four guys. And, Richardson or Levels are probably the strongest, but like if they can't control it, if they aren't even making the right decisions, it's no good. It, it doesn't really yeah. mean much. So like that's where like you kind of look at okay, Will Levis is. I'm sure we're gonna be seeing on social media and seeing a lot of people talking on Saturday afternoon and Sunday of oh wow, Will Levis, you know, lit up the combine and Anthony Richardson. You see his arm strength, see way he threw some of those 60 yard deep balls. Well, you know, also wowed people with their arm strength. Zach Wilson a few years ago. I still in my head picture the, the pro day and the clips on Twitter going viral of him throwing the ball 60 yards down the field. Sure, that's great. Congratulations. Malik Willis did the same thing. But guess what? They can't play in the case of Malik Willis. Can't even get on the field. And it's having a, a guy in Josh Jobs signed off the street two weeks before the, 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 basically a playoff game in Jacksonville starts because they can't trust you. Zach Wilson is benched for a guy, a journeyman in Mike White. And now the Jets two years are basically out on Zach Wilson. So it's like having a, a, a big arm is important, sure, but if you can't, if you don't know how to use it, basically, it's useless. Absolutely. And I, it was both Steichen and Ballard that, that brought it up. And Ballard even went further and said basically that, you know, the drills here don't mean a lot to him for those very reasons. I'm sure you're going to look at it. And if a guy like Levis, who you think has a big arm, it doesn't show up, you're going to be worried. I'm sure it will. I'm not, I'm not saying that. Especially after he says to, what he said today, you know, especially you, after. You can't, can't Especially brag about a strong that. arm and then all of a sudden having, you know, can't be throwing the ball more than 40 yards on the field. But, you know, it's it's not going to be a big part of the of the Colts evaluation process. I think that's pretty clear from what both of them said. You know, it, obviously, you'd rather have a stronger arm than a weaker arm, but there's so much more that goes into it. Uh, both of them really played up accuracy a lot. I think that's that's something they've been talking about in this process um, that that's really important. And, and they both talk a lot about playmaking and, and decision making, you know. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that those are hard things to measure at times, because uh, like a guy like CJ Stratton say, well, you know, there's a lot of playmaking out there. But how much of it's him? How much it's Marvin Harrison or you saw how good Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are, you know, the guys he had the year before. Uh, they're both 1,000-yard receivers now as rookies in the NFL. So it gives you an idea of just how deep and how good that that receiving core is. His best receiver coming of the year, Jackson Smith and Jigba, gets hurt, is out almost the whole year. Marvin Harrison comes out and looks like the best receiver in the country. Yeah. That's how good that group is. Um, so, you know, it's hard. It's hard to separate that and say, okay, well, what happens if he's not throwing to four NFL starters? You know, if it's Pro Bowl kind of guys, you know? Um, it, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how that plays out. And, and that goes for all of them. 
You know, whether it's Stroud in, in the town around him, whether it's Levis and in, in some of the turnovers he, he had, or whether it's Richardson and in, in the completion percentage, you've got to dig deep into that and find out what the reasons are behind it. How much is them? How much is the situation around them? Uh, one other guy that I talked to today that I don't think is on the radar at four, I know is not on the radar at four, but you never know how these drafts are going to play out. You know, you never know what's going to happen. Um, Hendon Hooker, if he comes in, you know I like him. I talked about him earlier as as, as playing B, um, you know, as a trade down guy or as a second round guy. Uh, he came off really well today as well. Very polished. He's the oldest of these quarterbacks, twenty five years old. Uh, but I thought it's interesting. He said he's going to be ready by training camp, and in his mind, where he's at with his knee, he's going to be ready by training camp. Can you start week one with him? I think that's a stretch. You know, for a rookie missing that entire spring is still going to be a really big deal. But, you know, he might be ready to go in the second half of the year. So if you've got a guy like Gardner Minshew, you can play for maybe the first half of the year. Maybe he can finish it out for it. I don't know. I think that one's a long shot, I mean, a real long shot. But we've seen stranger things happen on draft day. The one thing I'll say about Hendon Hooker is we kind of talked about this scenario a little bit on Tuesday's pod or Wednesday's pod when we are talking about the price of the Colts to trade up. Let's say, and we'll get to that action in a second, because there's an interesting report out there that will, you know, could impact the Colts when it comes to trading up to number one. But let's just say the Colts don't trade up to number one. And it's not the Texans either. It's a team behind the Colts. Let's say for argument's sake, it's the Raiders or the Panthers at number seven, number nine. They jump the Colts. They are sitting there number one. They take Bryce Young. Let's say the Texans then sit there number two. They take C.J. Stroud. Well, now if you're the Colts and you liked C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young, both of them, you didn't envision anyone jumping up or you didn't envision basically having those two quarterbacks off the board by the time you're drafting, and you don't like Anthony Richardson, or you don't like Will Levis. Well, number one, don't take him if you don't like him. But then it also brings up the fact that if you're okay, if you don't get a quarterback there, you trade down, you take out on the best available player, and then when you're sitting there in round two, a pick, I think it's 35 off the top of my head, do you take a do you take a handed hooker in the second round? Do you take basically okay? We don't like the other two quarterbacks in the first round. The other teams take them. We'll circle back in round two and get a guy like I said coming off the ACL injury that up to that point was lighting up college football, and kind of you know go into 2023 with like I said a, a veteran to start the year. Have Hendon Hooker kind of progress his way through the offseason, but take a chance on a guy like that um, if you don't like or 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 if you don't love Will Levis or Anthony Richardson. Assuming like I said, if you get jumped by a team behind you and they take Bryce Young and Celia Stroud and both of them go off the board one and two. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think it's a terrible plan. You know, if things happen on draft day that, that you don't, that don't fit well into your plan uh, and, and you've got to call an audible, I don't think it's a terrible way to do it. Uh, I thought he was a very interesting guy, very engaging guy as well. One of the things that was interesting there is, of course, he's talked to Peyton Manning. That's not surprising. You're quarterback of Tennessee. You know, he says he talks to him before and after every game. He considers him one of his mentors. Uh, but he also used Peyton to get to Eli. And I think that shows kind of a little bit of commitment and a little bit of intelligence as well, saying, hey, wait a minute, there's two guys in this family that 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 I can lean on. He, he talks to T. Martin, who won a national title there. You know, I, I just think he's a guy who's very open to to new information. Uh, and you saw him really improve throughout his college career. When he was at Virginia Tech, I don't know if very many people envisioned him having a year like he did this year at Tennessee. Uh, but he came in there, and it in some ways – uh, you know, I don't want to put this on him because it it, it it's way over where expectations are right now. But in some ways, it's similar to, to Joe Burrow's college experience. You know, he played more at Virginia Tech. Obviously, Joe Burrow didn't play at Ohio State. But you go at Tennessee, that first year was decent. And then he just exploded in his senior year uh, and looked fantastic. So, you know, if you're comfortable with two things with him, and I think that's a big thing. Comfortable one with, with that knee holding up and he's still going to have the mobility that he had before it. And two... As I mentioned, he's 25. He's going to be 26, you know, by the year. First time he's probably a, a full year starter for you. Those are things you've got to be comfortable with. But like talk about all four of these guys that we talked about earlier. There's something like that with everybody. That's the way this draft is. So if, if you can find a way uh, to be okay with all of that and things will go your way in the first round, you know, maybe you take a Will Anderson or a Tyree Wilson and 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 get add to that pass rush and then come back in the second round and, and get who you feel like maybe your quarterback of the future. I would, I would add to that outside of just the knee and the age in terms of concerns. The third thing I would say also too is, is the offense itself. Yes. Like that offense is extremely gimmicky. That's not an offense that was ran at Tennessee with Josh Hypo that the Colts are going to recreate. That's for sure. Just 
where basically you have two wide receivers on each side, basically on the sideline with how far wide their splits were. It worked really well in college. That's not an offense that is really translatable a lot to the NFL. So you wonder too, yep. okay, you probably adopt a spread offense, obviously with someone of an athletic build like Hendon Hooker, but can he, like I said, have success in an offense that's not exactly as gimmicky and as quarterback friendly, if you will, that uh, compared to the one he ran at Tennessee. So that's just, an, you know, so there are mm-hmm. definitely questions with Hendon Hooker for sure. Oh, even if you want to take a flyer on him in the second round, like I said, there's still um, questions and concerns, but I would say, like I said, it's an option if you get jumped, if you're sitting there at number four and your top two guys are gone and the other two remaining, you don't, you know, you're not in love with, or even, I mean, hell, Cardinals could trade back at number three. All of a sudden, next thing you know, there's a chance yep. you're sitting there at four, picks one, two, three or quarterbacks. And now it's only Richardson or only Levis there for you. And it's like, oh, I don't yep. want that. And now it's like you said, now you got to figure out a plan B. I do wonder how they would feel about Hedden Hooker as like a, a plan B in round two. Or, uh, or round three. Speaking of trading up, let's wrap up this uh, pod here, George. So you obviously, you're an Indy. You're obviously at the Combine. A lot of different reports, a lot of different rumors are always spoken about at the Combine. We mentioned the other day, it's lying season, uh, and a, there's a lot out there. But there's a report, I think it's interesting, that the Bears are looking to trade the number one overall pick before free agency starts. Now it starts, I believe it's St. Patrick's Day, or, or what, the 15th is the official 15th. day. And tampering starts at 13th. Yeah. So as we're recording this on March 3rd, Roughly two weeks away. If this report is true and the Bears are looking to make a move out of number one in basically the next two weeks, I think that's really bad news for the Colts. I think that's I agree. really bad news. I agree. And there is definitely some reason to believe it. I mean, Ryan Poles, when he spoke earlier this week, said that one of the scenarios is that they would get a deal done before free agency started, in part because if there are players coming back in that deal, they want to have that set already obviously for obvious reasons before they go into free agency and you start trying to fill some other needs uh the bears have a ton of money uh and i think that and a ton of needs (laughs) and a ton of needs uh i think that puts them in position though to accept guys you know from other teams because you're not gonna have to really worry a whole lot about that cap situation you're probably going to be able to fit them in um i do think it, it it doesn't bode well for indianapolis in the sense that i think if there was one dominant clear through line from from Steichen and Ballard's you know press conferences the other day it's that they're not really close to a decision on on who their top quarterback is which makes sense they hired a quarterback coach like three days ago four days ago Uh, the offensive coordinator a week before that you know the head coach the week before that so um it's it's pretty easy to understand why they're they're still pretty early in that process and I I don't know. And we've talked about this before. And, and this is the question. If the Bears are pushing that, and I'm sure they've talked to them that much, I'm positive of. I'm sure that they've talked to the Bears. If the Bears are pushing that timetable, the big question before the Colts becomes do you want to trade up there before you know? Now, the way Ballard was talking, he doesn't want to do it. I think we can say that pretty confidently. I don't know about the owner. He's always a wild card in this. You know, he could still kind of push that thing. Do you feel like if you're still choosing between, let's just say for the sake of argument, if you're still choosing between, Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, do you just go up and let the process play out, make that decision on draft day? I don't know. I know that's not the way Ballard likes to do business, though. I, I can say that. I mean, look, we saw that with the 49ers, right? When they traded up from 12 to 3, uh, like a month before the draft, it was, you know, at that point, pretty well reported. Like, they didn't really have a guy in mind, not to mention, I mean, look, it was pretty well presumed that it's going to be Trevor Lawrence 1, Zach Wilson 2. There's no guarantee that that was going to play out, but you'd have to assume if you're the 49ers, okay, those two are off the board. But it seemed like when they made that trade, like, yeah, we're open. Mac Jones, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, we'll see. Like, basically said, we'll get there, and then we'll figure out, like, which one come draft day we deem ready. That's why I'm concerned because Chris Ballard talked about it a a ton on Wednesday. If he finds a guy that he identifies is worthy of trade up to number one, he'll do it. But at the moment, and again, whether he's lying or not, it's a different question. At the moment, at least, he doesn't have that guy. And we talked about it on Thursday's pod, in case you missed it, just to reiterate, we both kind of talked about how I think the driving for- if the Colts are going to trade up, I think the driving force is going to be Shane Steichen because at the end of the day, Shane Steichen is going to be the one working with the quarterback directly, building the offense around that guy. And I think whenever he makes his decision, Stroud, Bryce Young, I think that's going to be, you know, he's going to be the driving force. Say, hey, Chris, this is the guy I like. I think that's going to give us the most success. I think we're going to, have, uh, you know, we can build our offense around this guy the best. And he is without a doubt the guy we need to have. 
I, that would be the motivating, motivating factor then for Chris Ballard to trade up to number one. But like you mentioned, the Colts right now are like, they're not in a rush to figure out their number one guy. They are, like I said, chain second, just basically got here. So the guy is still trying to work through the process of identifying quarterbacks, watching film. Again, we still have the pro days to go to. You still have, you know, workouts and meetings uh, as well. So still a long way for the Colts to get their information. I just don't think, like I said, outside of Jermose stepping in, I don't think if you put a, a time crunch on Chris Ballard and say, hey, look, you're going to basically have to blindly trade up to number one here in two weeks, and then we'll figure out who the, the quarterback is going to be. I think it's a tough sell. Now, again, mm-hmm. I would do it if I'm Chris Ballard. I'm not saying that that's the right philosophy that Chris Ballard has, but knowing how Chris Ballard has operated in the past and hearing what he said so far at the scouting combine this week, he's someone who will trade up if he feels it's worthy, but he's not going to do it just to do it or do so without a guy in mind. And that has me concerned when it comes to if the Bears truly want this you know, deadline to be March 15th, right when free agency starts, that is, again, that, that puts the Colts on the eight ball big time. Because I don't know if, if Chris Ballard, at the end of the day, will truly feel the need to go to number one without having a, a guy identified just yet. I agree 100%. And I would say an addendum to this, you know, we talked about the other day. Every time you hear one of these reports, because it is lying season, 100%. Every time you hear one of these reports, you got to think about who does it benefit. Well, definitely Chicago here. If, if yes. you can create some desperation, create some urgency, maybe you can get someone to to offer a little bit more than than is on the table right now. Because again, we're sure there's been talks, uh, and and even preliminary, you know, offers I'm sure have been made. So um, that's part of this too. So you don't know. I guess we'll know next week. You know, we'll see how this plays out. Uh, a deal either will be made or it won't, and it either will or won't include the Colts. Uh, but you have to you have to take all that into account, and and I'm with you in lockstep. If in fact the Bears are you know setting an intern or timetable, and want this deal done by I would assume March 13th when when legal tampering period opens, um, that probably makes it unlikely that the Colts will be their partner. Hopefully, this report is wrong, or said hopefully this report is just trying to drum up desperation that at the end of the day, when free agency does start, it comes and goes, and still no deal is made again. I. It's still super early. I find it even, I mean, look, I tell you what, the Raiders, I think, are desperate. I think the team like the Panthers, especially with Frank Reich, who we just go five years with five different quarterbacks. I'm sure he's anxious as hell to get a to get a guy. And David Tepper is very impatient when it comes to trying to, you know, figure it out. So that's a team that I could see absolutely saying, you know what? Screw it. Whatever you want, Bears, we'll we'll go for it and, and we'll get to up to number one and get our guy. So I think that's those are probably two teams I identify that. This report is maybe directed towards or or would benefit. Uh, I think those they are desperate enough, but I said at the end of the day, I really hope the Bears are patient about it. And I think part of getting the best return back is also getting the most teams involved. And I think putting a deadline this early in the process, I think does eliminate more teams than it does kind of rile up some desperation. So hopefully this report, again, for the Colts perspective, especially, is not true or does not come to fruition. Because if it does, like I said, bad news, and we could be sitting here, pick number four talking about getting maybe the third quarterback or potentially the fourth quarterback on the board, which again, going back to what we talked about earlier this week would be the ultimate failure, the ultimate disaster. If you are not controlling your own destiny here, and if you're Chris Ballard and this is going to be the last quarterback you select, you at least want it to be the guy you believe in the most, not the one that the league drafts for you. If it's, you know, you already have two or three other teams above you taking quarterbacks and leaving you basically with the scraps. That's not the way you would be operating for sure. So last thing I'm going to ask you here, George, um, really fast here. The workouts, the quarterback workouts are Saturday. Like I said, Will Levis is excited to show off his cannon. Anthony Richardson, same thing with his physical traits. CJ Stroud is going to throw. He said he's a ball placement. Uh, oh, what was the word? He said he's a ball placement. Um, oh, now I'm blanking. I apologize. He had a, a nice little phrase. He did. I can't remember it either. I know what you're talking about. When he said it. Ball, I, I, ball placement specialist. That, yes. uh, there it is. Ball placement specialist is what he called himself for his accuracy. And Bryce Young's not going not gonna to throw. Is there anything to look for? Is there anything you think we can glean from quarterback workouts on Saturday that could influence the Colts one way or another? Or is this just kind of more of a TV event that's really not going to impact their board whatsoever? Yeah, it's mostly a TV event. I mean, somebody falls on their face, that'll be a problem. You know, if that happens, somebody just has a really, really awful outing. But even then, I mean, I go back a few years ago, Orlando Brown tested absolutely terribly here yeah, <laughs> as an offensive tackle. Good call. Uh, and, you know, he's, he's an all-pro guy now. I mean, it's he just won a Super Bowl with the Chiefs and uh, probably going to get franchise tagged because they don't want to lose him. So, yeah, I don't – I doubt it. it. Let's put it this way. If it does, they might not be making the right kind of decisions. 
I'm with you. Yeah, like this is a whole whole lot to do about nothing, to be honest. Like we'll watch. Obviously, it's captivating, it's intriguing, but actually, like I said, determining your big board or actually, like I said, making real uh strides in terms of your your development pro or your um evaluation process, you can't go on anything that you see tomorrow. Cause like I said, number one, it's for the most part, it's pretty hard to fail. Like I said, there are certain instances like you just mentioned, Orlando Brown is one. And if quarterback's just wildly inaccurate and Will Levis can't control the cannon that he has or Richardson just can't throw a strike whatsoever. Okay. Yeah. That's maybe more of a demerit than anything else, but you can't use this as any sort of like, wow, Will Levis went 16 to 17 throwing on air. This had now we have to bump him up here and really reevaluate uh, our uh, thoughts on him because this is a guy that we can't miss now. It's one of those things, like I said, it's more, I think a media event. It's more hyped up for fans to just kind of get an extra look, but they're in boxers. Basically yeah. They're throwing to receivers they have never worked with. The receivers yeah. are not covered. There's no one pressing them in their face. You, you, you bat, there's no offensive lineman in, in your – it's just like it, – it's it's basically me and you, George, having a catch in the backyard, and all of a sudden an yeah. NFL scout watching, oh, wow, look at, look at that. George caught every ball. Look at that. Should we re- you know, consider uh, him for our draft? It's a whole, whole lot to do about nothing for sure. So I'm with you. I don't think there's anything we can really – Watch for it's going to impact the Colts' decision making. Chris Bowden basically said it flat out. Yeah, this is irrelevant. I'm not even sure if he's going to be there tomorrow. To be honest, like, I'm not sure. <laughs> he probably will be because he likes to feel guys. I mean, he talks about that too. He likes to be in the building and he likes to kind of feel their energy. You know, he likes to feel whatever you know their presence on the field, however you want to put that. Um, so he probably will be, but it'll be more from that standpoint than anything else he's definitely not going to be making notes. Ooh, look at that throw, but you know that's <laughs> not going to happen. Um, but it. Yeah, you know, and again, if somebody does falter, then that probably has a lot more impact than anybody really shining would. Uh, yeah, I, I am with you there. And if, if we are making big sweeping evaluations based on uh, Saturday's throwing session, George, uh, George, the Colts are more screwed than I thought. That is uh, that is for sure. All right, so that'll wrap up for this edition of the Blue Horseshoe Pod. Really do appreciate you making us a part of your Friday, a part of your Saturday, whenever you're listening, however you're listening, wherever you're listening. We do appreciate if you're looking for outlets to listen to. We are on YouTube, the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. Make sure you check that out and subscribe. Check out uh, wherever you get your podcast, the Blue Horseshoe Pod, with the blue logo. It's the same name as last podcast, but we're just on a different feed. So if you type in the Blue Horseshoe Pod, wherever you get your podcast, make sure you subscribe to the one with the blue logo that's where all our brand new shows are and speaking of youtube make sure you do check out youtube because george like we just mentioned was in the building uh earlier on friday for all four Front quarterback row. interviews yeah george you had a great seat you were right there I, I got up early i'll tell you that i got up early and and i knew hey this this was my combine today I had to be ready right I had, to, <laughs> I, I, I had to be ready this was the equivalent of your 40 yard dash yeah closest i'm gonna get to a 40 yard dash that's for sure uh but no there's no doubt uh it, it, this was the day that was circled on the calendar from from the moment the, the schedule came out uh and so yeah front and center and you can see videos with all five of the quarterbacks that we discussed today uh out there so get on there like comment subscribe do all those really good things uh it'll help me and ryan continue to do this and, and maybe bring you even more content George was sleeping outside of the convention center gates this morning <laughs> to get a good spot. So make sure at bare minimum, do that for George, right? He had a great yeah. spot here at the quarterback availability. All five of those availabilities are available on YouTube, the blue horseshoe pod. Like I said, George, I, I give you a lot of credit, man. You were there early. I don't know if it was like the, the, the doors open and there's George racing to get the good primetime spot, but sleeping outside, whatever you did, it worked to perfection. I tell you what, I was actually surprised. I came in and there weren't many people here. And I thought I was, I thought I was going to have to like, be a little more elbowing and you know get i grew up in indiana so i got that basketball background <laughs> you know i didn't have to do boxing anything out. didn't have to box anybody out so it worked out well but no you know hopefully people enjoy it i think it was a fun day uh and i think it's it's the start of what we've been saying for a long time it's gonna be a really fun off season i think i came away from today i don't know about you i think i came away from today feeling pretty good about all these guys on some level you obviously have an order uh, that that you prefer them in, but I think you you got a good idea that if nothing else, there, there's no jerks in this group, and I think that's an important thing to know too. Yes, you don't want any bad guys because again, we've seen plenty of locker rooms you know fracture because of of bad leadership and just bad guys, and that's also an area to the Colts have you know really uh, made as as one of their top priorities is getting good guys, you know, getting good high character guys in the locker room that team teammates can believe in and rally around, and like I said, I think. It's tough just because it did feel a little sanitized and a little rehearsed at times for these four quarterbacks. But like I said, 
so far, they made a good first impression, a long way to go, but definitely in one of the biggest areas we can look at the scouting combine is the interview process. And at least publicly, we saw from the interviews today, all four quarterbacks seem comfortable, seem to handle it okay. And definitely, uh, you know, we're, we're definitely polished and well-rehearsed, that's for sure, which is good. Well-researched, which is one I want to be good first impression for sure. So we will be back next week to kind of recap everything, right? We kind of, I like this, George. We kind of basically broke down each day and each individual, you know, aspect for the Colts. We broke it down, Shane Sykin and Chris Ballard's press conferences individually. We've broken it down today, the quarterback, um, the quarterback availabilities as well. We've, uh, we've previewed the combine. So next week will be a nice kind of, all-encompassing, you know, wrap-up of everything we kind of learned, putting all the things we learned together, kind of, you know, give you a, a few takeaways for sure and how that's going to impact the Colts going here the rest of the offseason. So make sure you tune in for that. Again, the best way to tune in and not miss it is by subscribing on YouTube, the Blue Horseshoe Pod, or subscribing to the Blue Horseshoe Pod wherever you do get your podcasts. So have a great weekend. If you're going to watch the throwing sessions, enjoy them. Again, don't take too much out of them, but do enjoy the show that I'm sure most quarterbacks will put on. And we'll talk to you next week right here on the Blue Horseshoe Pod.